0: Last week, what we asked you to do was to write down some questions and I'm just going to read off the questions you asked just to kick us off and get you back into the mindset because I think if I were writing down some questions, I'd like to know what other people wrote down. So I'm just going to read the questions for you uh, as a way to go and we got a lot of questions. So let me just read them to you. Isn't it enough to just go to Exodus? Should we go to a church as well? Is it okay to only join a church group and not go to a service? What is the purpose of the little c, church service? Is it necessary? Is it an option? Is it not useful? Is being a Christian and attending church service related? Even though I know in my head it isn't, it sure seems that way. Could a group of people interacting around a dinner table qualify as a church? Although we are the body of Christ, oftentimes I have difficulty dealing with and understanding the local church, especially concerning hypocrisy. Another comment said, I feel like churches today aren't doing what they're supposed to do, but I don't know exactly what they should do. That's probably why we're doing the series. Can any Christ followers in community be considered a church? What should the goals of the local church be? It seems like a lot of churches that I see are floundering for a lack of purpose. Another comment was, megachurch versus small local church, which is really more effective and what are the pros and cons of each? How does a church remain accessible to new members and still deep enough for people who are lifelong Christians? Can ministries of the church develop into churches or do they always remain just ministries? Is the church supposed to feed us or supplement us in our faith? What role should the church play in the creation of new ministries? What is the church's role in evangelism? What is the role of church councils, conventions, both historically and in modern times? Should the global or local church take precedence? Which one? Should the pastor have some sort of authority over the lives of the people at the church? What are the most significant qualifications for a local pastor? What should his responsibilities be? Is it healthy to have a set of group leaders or should the church be run by members? If the church is really necessary, why is there a need for membership? Should clergy be paid? Why or why not? Another comment was, I understand certain compensation for work done, but in today's age, at least when it comes to U.S.-based missionaries and pastors, is it necessary to have them fully sponsored financially? What benefit does this present to the church as a whole? Should we support churches with bad theology? How do we separate our faith from the shortcomings of the church? Is church shopping appropriate, i.e., finding that church that's right for me? Is that too individualistic? How do I know which church is right for me? Those were two separate people, so. <laughs> They're not schizophrenic. That was just two separate people. If we are supposed to go to church, does it matter what church we go to? Is it okay to leave a church for another church? Are there ever good and biblical reasons to change churches? If so, what are they and why or why not? What are the good reasons for churches to split? Are there any? Should the churches and denominations try to unite? Does the disunity of the church, being many denominations, pose a threat to the Christian name? Is it a big setback in the sense that it goes against how the church is the body of Christ? Would Jesus be okay with all the denominations? Why does the church set up unrealistic ideas and rules for daily life and interactions between the opposite sex? It feels like we're being set up to fail. We're probably not going to get to that one in this series. (laughs) Those are all the questions that you asked, and right now, to answer all of them, let's welcome up Morgan Greer. I
1: knew you were going to do that. Okay. Well, I am going to get to some ground, and we will cover some of those questions, but let's do just a touch of review real quickly, kind of just to remember real briefly what we set up last week. There are a few different principles that we talked about and said, hey, we're not going to be talking about the universal church this series, and yet... Of course, we have to lay somewhat of a foundation. And so we looked at a few different scriptures and a few different statements. Uh, I made the case that the church is an enduring church, so the universal church is an enduring church. It will not fail. Um, It is referred to as the body of Christ by Paul. Um, So that metaphor and imagery, and we talked just briefly about that. Um, We also talked about the idea of God's spirit being a place where that dwells in the churches, or in in the universal church, okay? And so after that though, we started looking at the evidences of local church in scripture. And so there are clear there are all kinds of evidences considering the fact that Paul speaks or he writes these letters to various churches. We saw a few different passages that again show some evidence of the local church and how it begins to shift pretty quickly. Like people love to talk about the early church as something that was just this organic, totally you know, spirit-driven thing, which it was, but just because it's organic or just because it's spirit-driven doesn't mean there isn't structure, right? And so very shortly after, structure also begins to occur. And where we landed is that the local church implies the universal, but the universal no less implies the local. Without localization, without becoming concrete in a specific occasion, it does not exist. Okay, so the local church is a bottom line, and I made the case, we're going to see here, is... This is our operating principle. The local church is supposed to reflect the universal church because the universal church can only be manifested in local communities. So what we're discussing tonight is twofold. First, let's define what a local church should be doing, the purpose and mission in the world. So hopefully there are a couple questions that kind of said, hey, I don't really know what churches are supposed to be doing. Hopefully we can begin to get an answer to that. I mean, these are very large topics. We'll do our best to, to get into some scriptures, hear a few different statements on the church, and then we'll probably even be unpacking that further as we go along uh, you know, throughout the surveys. But tonight, hopefully we're going to lay a real groundwork for what should the local church be doing. And second, what are some basic common Christian beliefs of a church? Uh, someone, I believe, Tiffany, brought up the idea last week of, hey, there's got to be some... Uh, you know, there's got to be some belief orientation that that makes us a church, right? Um, and I think I agree with that very strongly, actually. So we're gonna look at what that might be, um, or what those might be, and and trying to lay a very the minimal, the skeleton, right? Because I actually think most Christian beliefs there are some differences, and and there can be some freedoms to uh, interpret various texts differently and run with them, okay? But I think there are, there has to be some basic level beliefs that, that hopefully we can all agree on, okay? Um, so again, we're going to say the local church is supposed to reflect the universal. And here's a statement that I kind of like because I think it begins to say, what is the, who is the local church? What are we supposed to be doing? It says, in John 20, Jesus appears before his frightened disciples in a locked room, breathes on them the Spirit of God, and creation is reconstituted as the church is born with an identity and mandate to be the sign, witness, and foretaste of where God is moving within all creation. Sign, witness, and foretaste. I think that's a great metaphor, a great image, um, a great reality is that the local church, the church as a whole and locally, is supposed to be a sign, a witness, and a foretaste of what God is doing. Um, Ephesians 4 talks about God using the church as the manifold wisdom, of, as, it, as conveying the manifold wisdom of God. That God has chosen, for whatever reason, to use the local church as, its, as uh, you know, the main vehicle by which God is going to move in the world. Um, so I'm going to identify five or six uh, different principles that I think the local church is supposed to do. As you guys know, feel free to push back. Let's, let's work through these together. So first, I'm going to make the argument the local church is a place of prayer, worship, proclamation, and learning the scriptures so that the body may attain full maturity. Where do I get that? From our series in Ephesians. There is so much in Ephesians about the church. So go back, listen to that series, go back and read the book of Ephesians as well. But let's read from chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. It was he who gave some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the son of god and become mature attaining the whole measure of the fullness of christ now there is a lot in this passage but there are a few things that i think are really really important the purpose of the local church is to help people know god i think that is one of the most central tasks of the local church is as people congregate gather we are trying to know God, to attain that whole measure, to attain the knowledge of the Son of God God, and become mature. That's the point of church, okay? And so a service, in part, fits into that, right? I mean, you come on a Sunday morning to worship, to pray, to be formed by learning scriptures, and to ultimately know God. And to, and to do that in relationship with others, and to do that both programmatically and relationally. So there, there's a few different things going on there. But I would say the primary purpose of the church is to help people know God. And in the process of our knowing God, the rest of the world will know God as well. Okay? Also, you have preparing God's people for works of service. We'll get to that later, but I think the church is to bless others. Um, one of the questions that didn't come up here that John and I received from Phil earlier was who does the church benefit you know who is the church supposed to benefit and as funny as this might sound or as idealistic or lofty as it might sound, it should be everyone should be absolutely everyone because if the church is really acting as the church like I said people are coming to know God and God has (coughs) created us so that we would know God and so that we would love each other to love God with our heart soul mind and strength and to love our neighbor as ourselves and Jesus kind of boils that down to this is the purpose of life Right, And so, honestly, if the church is functioning well, it should benefit absolutely everybody. Now, we, we seem to fall short of that, and we, are, we will deal with some of those issues as we go along. But it really should benefit absolutely everyone. We also looked at this passage last week, which is from Acts chapter 2. So let me read it again, because it's going to hit on some of the themes of prayer, worship, proclamation, and learning scriptures. Describing that early church, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were being done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone who had had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. That's a very strong statement and I think it well recognizes this is why this is what church is for. So but in this these people are devoting themselves to teaching, to prayer, to sharing food together. Um, You see that they are meeting in temple courts and in homes, right? So, I mean, even though, I mean, a lot of us have this issue, like, should I really get up on a Sunday morning and should I go here? Um, I, I think it's a reasonable question, and yet I also think it seems like, you know, the church here, they kind of met in public places, they met in private places. One thing that's very clear is they're meeting, they are gathering, they are congregating, they are doing things. We looked last week at Hebrews 10, right? Let us not give up meeting as some are in the habit of doing. So there is this common desire, and, and uh, we we see it as necessary to keep meeting and gathering. Okay. Yes. Wonder,
2: yeah. Like even with yeah with that last passage, like the idea of them devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching wouldn't necessarily need to happen with them together. Like prayer wouldn't necessarily need to happen together. Like I understand like breaking of bread, at least that idea of, like kind of fellowship, like eating together, obviously to eating together, but like. Most churches don't eat together. You know, it's like out of those things, like
1: or on rare occasions. Yeah, yeah, that's true.
2: It's not a, a typical thing. Of like, do you need to do that with a group?
1: Yeah, I think it's a fair it's a fair question. What what seems to be the case throughout Scripture is that God has made us for a relationship with Him and with each other, in a way that yes, there are certainly things like prayer and 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 we even not only can we do them, we should do them on our own. I mean, we should have times where we read scripture on our own, or prayer, or, you know, or worship, or, or you know, absolutely. And yet, it seems very obvious, or, or it's, I guess it would be one of those things that's a given, kind of like God's existence in the Bible. It's a given that, that God actually exists. It is a given throughout the New Testament that people are going to live faith out together. Like, it is a given because we are made for relationship. And because, as we saw last week, remember that image of the body, you can't have the eyes doing things apart from, you know, the nerves and, and all these things working together. So because if we understand that body image and we really, you know, reflect upon it, meditate upon it, it only makes sense that, well, you know, you can't relate to people without being together, you know, like, so, so this begins to happen. And I think, and we will, Phil, we'll come back to even, I, I think there are actually some things, there are ways that Christ wants to form us that you cannot do other than being with people. Like you must do, you know, to really learn how to love others. You can't do that by yourself, you know, like it's really not possible. So there are certain commands that actually aren't able to do on your own. And then there clearly are a lot of these things that you can do on your own and you should. So I think that's both to hear. A little bit on proclamation. So here are a couple, There are just a couple verses we'll look at with proclamation. So Paul says this, he is concerned about the spread of the faith. And he says, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Now, a lot of people, especially in missionary contexts, this is a very, um, this is a very strong passage for why people say, "Hey, I got to go to this unreached people group," because literally, Paul was concerned that if people don't hear, I mean, what what happens to these people? He is concerned, and we should be too. But I think this is also a great call for churches because we should have people. You know, people should be able to come to the local church. And be able to hear exactly this they would be able to hear about Jesus so proclamation concerns speaking the message and living the message about Christ and there's a couple more so Paul's ministry is an example to that he preached and he taught he went around he even had a trade but he very frequently would go into the temple courts he would go into synagogues he would go into people's houses and talk about Jesus and when people Said, yeah, yeah, th- what you're talking about, this is true, this is real, this is good, and became followers. What did he do? Ultimately, he would go to an area, begin to establish a church, and then he'd leave and go somewhere else, right? And so, this model of teaching, people coming to Christ, this proclamation, and then people actually following um, is exactly what should be going on here. Um, 2 Corinthians 5, verses 16 through 21. The big one is, you know, down low, like, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us, right? And he's given us this ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against him. Like, I think that truth there is something that you can't, that's special revelation, right? So we talk about this general revelation, like, that people can know that God exists in the world by examining creation by um, through interacting with others, we can say people can begin to say, "Hmm, there might be something more than this world." But the fact that God has been reconciling him, reconciling the world to Himself through Christ for the forgiveness of our sins—that is a special revelation. That is something that you can't just do things to communicate. That I mean, our lives have to confirm that this is actually true and good. But without a, a proclamation effort. You can't come to that knowledge, you know? I mean, and God, of course, we've talked about it in our previous years in Hearing God, right? God does appear to people in dreams, right? God does speak audibly. God does something. So God can certainly move around those things, but he wants to use the church to go, I mean, that's what this passage is saying. So we'll come back to it because it's a couple um, different parts. Okay, yeah, Phil. So would
2: you say then at least how you're using proclamation that would try to think like, because I see it as sort of two different elements. Like people directly evangelizing, I guess I'll use that word, instead. And then also just teaching the scriptures.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. You know? So I mean, I agree there is a certain sense where there's like a set sermon. Or, you know, I think of Acts 2 right, right before um, the passage we read about, you know, the disciples sharing things together. Peter addressed it like the Holy Spirit is poured out and people think the early disciples are drunk. And he goes, hold up, folks, you know, and he, you know, talking to a bunch of people and saying, wait a minute, I need to clear this up. I need to proclaim what's going on here, you know, this big speech sort of thing. So I think, yeah, absolutely, like there's an element of proclaiming like that. But there's also other ways to proclaim. I mean, people, John and we talk a lot about giving, right? And people who hear, yeah, you know, I tithe 15% of my income or 10% or something. People go like, wait a minute, why would you do that? You know, that proclaims a certain reality. Um, that we are then hopefully able to explain well, we actually believe God owns everything. Like, he, like our money is actually not our own, we are stewarding it. And we believe that giving back to God and God's causes in the world is a great thing to do. That's what we believe as Christians. That proclaims a certain message, and it's not necessarily a speech or a sermon. So I don't think proclamation only exists with evangelism. I think we are still proclaiming the truths of God and learning them together and grow. You know, so I mean, I don't want to have too narrow of a definition of that. I, I think there are different things that would fall under the act of proclaiming. Okay, Let's move on. Um, expression of spiritual gifts. I think that's an important part of the, the community. Um, check out 1 Corinthians chapter 12-14. through um, Basically the whole thing is Paul discussing spiritual gifts. Okay, I think church communities need to do this. Now there is considerable debate on how does that happen in the public sphere. Um, to what level do you allow for things like speaking in tongues or different things. Um, Our church even really believes uh, strongly in life groups and believing that that is actually one of the best places for the expression of spiritual gifts, like if somebody has the gift of mercy or compassion or even tongue speaking or even discernment in a group. So, I mean, I think there is freedom to understand how how this stuff works it out. But I think spiritual gifts are important. And they're clearly a part of the community, a part of you know, the purpose of the local church is a place where people can grow in their spiritual giftings um, and be empowered to use them for the growing or edification of other believers. Okay. Third, people participating with God to carry God's mission out in the world. And that's where I want to read the second Corinthians 5 just one more time from the beginning. So second Corinthians 5 verses 16 to 21. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And this is that that ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting men's and women's sins against them. And he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This passage is a really important passage, I believe, both for understanding forgiveness of sins, for understanding God's mission in the world, and understanding that the church, the local church, is supposed to be part of reconciliation, um, that God has been reconciling the world to himself through Christ. So this opens up all kinds of things as far as, now, how does this happen into particularities? I mean, this opens up for, um, I think it opens up for racial and ethnic uh, reconciliation work. I think it opens up to acts of service in the community. I think it opens up in a lot of ways, but this central message of God using us as ambassadors for Him and getting, making it clear to others that actually in Christ you can have forgiveness. Like again, there's kind of that, that proclamation effort, but it can both be in word and deeds and it's an understanding that the purpose of the local church is not just to be insular. That part is very clear here. Um, that just coming and just trying to learn and grow together is, is good. It's part of the solution. It's part of the equation. But it's not the fullness of what, it, what the local church should be doing. This is a message for all people. And so as we learn it, we, we share it with others. And, and God is acting throughout the world. And so we have to go with God and where God is moving. Another one that just kind of makes that theme clear. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves is the gift of God not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. So we talked about this again in our Ephesians series, that God has saved us so that we would go and do good works. Okay? We are not saved by them, but we are saved for them. We are saved with a purpose that Christ is on mission in the world and wants to use us first and foremost. Point four. To provide a place and people where you can learn to love your brothers and sisters in christ and this kind of comes back Phil, a little bit to yours this is something i don't believe you can do on your own without congregating with others so here's a few verses that kind of just show this call to loving those in christ so shows proper respect for everyone love the brotherhood of believers fear god honor the king above all love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins The first quote was from 1 Peter 2.17, that one was 1 Peter 4.8. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ, Galatians 6.2. How can you carry another's burdens if you're not meeting, if you're not growing with them, if there isn't relationship that's the foundation for this activity?
2: One of my thoughts is like, and it's hard to say, associate, like, church, I'll instantly associate with, like, a service, like, that you have. And the problem is, like, in a service, none of this happens. Like, you might have a force like, talk to someone next to you for 20 seconds, like, but besides <laughs> that, like, it usually typically doesn't happen. Where I feel like this, I agree, to, that this is important for us to do, and therefore we do need to be with other people and with Christians, like, I just don't see how that fits into a church.
1: Yeah, I think there are ways. I have seen Things like this that can work. I mean, there are times, you know, in worship where churches make space for people to actually pray for others, and in that way, you know, even during a service, uh, burdens can be carried uh, by others. Yeah, John. But I think
0: the question already answered itself because Phil was saying I sometimes think of a church as a service, but it's not. It's not exactly the point. Like a church is a local body of believers living together. In community and doing all those things. It may be really hard to like identify which churches are doing it right or wrong, but it certainly isn't a service. If like you went to that service, you're just attending one function of that church. And so you wouldn't be able to do this just by doing the service. But that doesn't really really pose a problem for the church. It means you're not
1: participating in the church service can also be an impetus for relationships beginning right I mean clearly (laughs) I went to a service at New Song and now you know four years later I'm in relationship with you guys and, and with you know I'm now on staff and different things like that but that began through a service that then led to relationships I think that's very important I would hope and think most pastors don't assume like my church is this service like this service is a public expression of who we are but we are actually hoping that communal life would form Um, like I mean even in our mission like back to that Ephesians 4 like our goal is to train and equip the members of the body to go and do works you know And, and so we even see like no like this service is one aspect of formation but if they're just coming to service, like yeah, that's okay, that's fine. But that's not living out church. That's not being a part of that of the body. So sometimes, and some churches do get confused. I mean, I I, I don't disagree with that. There are churches who get confused as to, you know, hey, we got lots of people coming on a Sunday morning. We're doing great. It's like, well, you have a lot of bodies, you know. But so I've been to a 50,000-person stadium at a football game. You know, that's. <laughs> doesn 't necessarily mean growth is you know it doesn 't necessarily mean we're we're accomplishing at the church what we 're supposed to be doing, so I think we have to be careful of that one more um just again, therefore, as we have opportunity let 's do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers galatians six ten I just think it's really important to recognize like one function one function of the local church is to provide a place where you can love and and Begin relationships with other brothers and sisters in Christ, and many times we get hurt by the church. I mean, I saw the hypocrisy comment; that one's a very frequent one. Um, we are afraid because sometimes people in the church hurt us the most. I mean, there's no doubt about that. Um, but that's but it is still a command to go and learn how to love and do good works in the church for our fellow brothers and sisters. And it's really important that we do that. Yeah
2: all of that is great but it's a criteria of being a christian i don't see that as a criteria of a place or a
1: well i don't think the church is a place i don't know if i've communicated that wrongly i hope i haven't <laughs> the church is not a place um, it's people but they are interconnected you know they're clearly related i mean they're still you know the church is the people and yet we meet at a place the church has always met at places because we are locally we, we are geographical, <laughs> you know, what I mean, we have to be in a place, you know, what I mean, where are you going to meet? Not in a place, you know, so, I think there are reasons why we have a service on Sunday mornings, or small groups, or Sunday night things, like, I don't think that, I don't think there's any conflict there, I think we have a false um, argument there, yeah. It's kind of a tangent question, going off of First um, Peter two seventeen, um, how can the church mediate issues within the congregation or within a group of people better. I mean, I know with Matthew, you know, take the issue to the person, essentially. I'm just curious because I feel like that's where people get really lost. I think that's my question, is that a lot of people get turned away from that. How, how do you see the church mediating that more efficiently, or, it, or how do you see that manifest? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. I mean, there's no doubt one of the issues that our church in America specifically faces is the issue of, because I have church discipline on here that's one of the points uh, in a couple so you kind of jump the gun on that which is fine um, but one of the issues is if some sometimes people will get upset you know discipline is not easy it's not good I mean even Hebrews talks about that like you, you learn how to endure because God you recognize that God loves you and God disciplines those he loves but that's a trot thing you know to be called out to be confronted for things it's not easy um, and the sad part is, in, in America, we just go to the church down the street. You know, if, if we, if, if somebody were to say, "Hey, I think you need some time," you know, a lot of people just, "Well, I'm out of here." You know, I'll go down the street. And so, church discipline is skirted around pretty frequently. Now, how are we supposed to do that? I think that's a, it's a very broad question that would need more spe- specific tasks. But yes, God, you know, Jesus talks about, "Blessed are the peacemakers," right? We are supposed to be those who go. And reconcile with others and help others to reconcile with others you know and so again I think that boils down to relationships it boils down to counseling it boils down to empowering people um, to go and do that or to learn how to reconcile Um, John has brought up the point numerous times sometimes reconciliation as in the moment is not possible because you kind of need two parties to reckon I mean there there is a there is a part that's ours and the part who the other person is and if there isn't some mutual working there, it's, you can't reconcile. You know. OK, another purpose. Number five, the place where we receive the sacraments. Communion and baptism are in mind in particular. Um, we're not going to go into the text, but you can read them. All four Gospels talk about Jesus breaking bread and giving the wine as the Last Supper for communion. And Paul talks about how that should be a lastening well, Jesus does first, as a lasting ordinance for us. And then Jesus gives us the command to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Again, the church are the people. Of course, it's going to be geographically located, so it makes sense. You know, like we will at times at our church have baptisms on a Sunday morning. It falls into the proclamation. It falls into a lot of different things where that act is extremely important. Um, Six, what AJ had said, church discipline um, Matthew 18 is a great text to go to. 1 Corinthians 5 is another one. Difficult words um, and difficult how to, how to work that out in practicality is not easy. But I think church discipline is actually really important, and it's something that we all need to go through, is, is even just being confronted, learning our own sin. Um, the gift of relationship with each other is the only way that's going to happen. Um, and I even experienced that more so... Uh, As you get closer, other people are like, you know, in my marriage, that's one where you really experience like somebody (laughs) gets to see things about you that that maybe others don't. And you learn perspective that you might not have otherwise. So, I mean, there are numerous, but that can also be in friendships. I have deep friendships with others where we actually do have that level of saying, hey, this is a problem in your life. Like, I'm going to stand by you. I'm going to work with you. But this is something you need to learn how to work out. So we as a Christian community need to do that. It needs to not just happen in marriages. Um, it needs to not just happen in other relationships. It's supposed to be something that we do is help others grow in Christ. And some of that involves discipline. Any pushbacks? Or do you think I've missed things like what the church should be doing?
2: Yeah. I'm not sure if I feel like there's more. I just feel like a lot of them I, I would take out. Because even like expressing spiritual gifts, it just seems to be like a purpose of the church. is like... Like, I mean, some spiritual gifts you should be expressing to everyone. And if the whole purpose of the church is just, not the whole purpose, but if one of the purposes is just so that you can use a gift that you have, like, that seems strange. Like, because the gift should be its own purpose, like, not the church that should use it.
1: I, the reason I would disagree is Paul kind of cautions against making the gift the thing. A lot of people do that. They fall into, like, I have this gift, and I'm beginning to get identity in this gift as opposed to Paul saying, wait a minute. Like the whole reason God has given that to you is so that you would edify other believers. So if you think this is about this gift, <laughs> you're, you're going to cause a lot of problems and your arrogance. I mean, you are falling into sin by elevating this gift over and above why God has even given it to you to begin with. So that's why I'd say, I mean, I think the reason why I included that, I mean, one, because Paul talks about it. But I mean, I think... What I'm trying to make the case is the centrality of the church is really big. I mean, like a lot of things happen in the local church, or they're supposed to. Again, we're saying they should be occurring. Um, and that's why everyone should be benefiting by the church. Now, we, we failed to live into that many times, but yeah, Ben and Joe. Well, I think maybe what I was saying
0: is it seems like number two could actually be folded into number three. Not so much the expression
1: of the spiritual gifts, but teaching people how to use the spiritual gifts. Okay, the training and equipping. I t- would totally agree with that. I like that phrasing. Jill, did you have something to add? Yeah, no, I think to kind of refine the second point as well, I think that it has to do with people's access. Like, I may not have access to someone with a gift of healing just in my day-to-day people that I know, but I go to All Saints and there are many, many priests who will heal people and pray prayers over them. And there are many, many teachers, there are many, many people who do many different things different from what I can do for myself and for others or whatever. So I think expressing your spiritual gifts and using them, I think that's a legitimate function, I think. It's a good one. Anybody else before I move on to some beliefs? Okay, we're going to move on to beliefs. We'll, we'll be coming back to these issues. Um Unifying Christian beliefs. I wrestled with these. I thought about them and they're open to discussion, but there has to be some commonality here to call yourself Christian. Um, So that's what I had to reflect upon and really think all right, here are the nuts and bolts. Here's what it means to be Christian without trying to add too many other things. We'll see what you think. First, belief in Jesus is God incarnate, fully human and fully divine. Um, Early on in the church, this was a huge problem. Um, There were different people who thought, well, he's fully divine, we're cool with that, or nope, he's fully human. Um, There were splits, there were sects, there were heresies um, that were basically said, no, you are not an orthodox Christian if you don't understand Jesus to both be fully human and fully divine. Belief in Jesus' historical life, and I'm summarizing that in his virgin birth. I think that's an important aspect of his life and earthly ministry. His literal death and literal resurrection from the grave. Like this actually happened, it's not just a metaphor. It actually happened in his appearance to his disciples and in his heavenly ascension. Um, I think those are core beliefs. The Christian faith is rooted in historical events that actually occurred. (laughs) Like God either did become flesh in in the person of Jesus and live this earthly life and actually die on the cross. Not, Not a fake death, not a pretend death, but a real one. Um, and then rose from the grave in actuality. So I'm, I'm just trying to point us towards, I almost put that, you know, the, the emphasis upon literal to say, no, this isn't just a story. This isn't just, because um, there are stories that can unite people, right? I mean, there are all kinds of stories that, that provide chemistry and, and mutual values and things like, I mean, Aesop's fables are, are good. They can teach children <laughs> things. Um, but that is not the story of Christianity. It's not a distant belief that is not active in the world. This actually happened. Humanity is sinful and separated from God as in, and is in need of redemption through Christ. Um, we did in our Hell series, we talked a lot about how do people understand through Christ, and there may even be some differences. But if Christ isn't needed for some reason, if redemption isn't through Christ, I find that hard to be compatible <laughs> with, with Orthodox Christianity. I, I think that's a bottom line belief. And finally, God is one yet triune, revealing himself as Father Son and Holy Spirit. I think this is also essential, especially when you put up the Christian faith alongside Judaism and alongside uh, Islam, because they, you know, it's very similar to say, "Yeah, we all believe in one God. We all believe in the same God." And and this is a distinctively Christian understanding of, "Wait a minute. Yes, I understand that, but God is, is triune, expressing Himself through Father, Son, and Spirit." I believe these four. Are the basis, bottom beliefs? Do you think I'm missing anything? Do you think anything is, you you know, you're out if you don't believe that? Or I mean, is there any pushback against this? Yeah.
3: I'm kind of surprised they didn't put something on there about how God interacts with humanity, like that God loves all people because He created all.
1: People. Yeah, that seems to be very obvious. Um, I was trying to think of what. What are some beliefs if you took them out i would say you have a hard time being christian like i would have a hard time saying yes this person is actually christian so yeah i certainly could have and should have added god is one yet try and reveal himself in father son and holy spirit and is loving has created the entire world um, and it desires a relationship between himself and, and all people i mean i would totally we could we should add that on to that point because yeah i believe that's a bottom line christian belief as well
0: are you trying to say that in response to last week, like a church a local church should have bought into the Orthodox Christian beliefs and that your views that these are them. Like so if a church if a local church is really a church, it should subscribe to these minimum beliefs.
1: Humbly, yes. Yes, humbly. <laughs> I mean that's why I mean there's a lot of weight in even Because I think there are lots of other Christian, deeply Christian beliefs, but but I think there's some room for stuff where I'm trying to say, like, I think there needs to be unanimity to these, or or pretty darn close, and there could be some tweaking, there could be some, but for the most, that that was at least what I was attempting to do. Yeah, Tiffany.
3: Um, even you asked a question about like uh, what we could add or something, and I don't know really where to put this, but just the whole concept of like Christian action, like I don't know, because I feel like action would be an output of these beliefs, but then also, like, if there was a group of self-proclaimed Christians and they believed all this, but then they weren't doing anything and they actually did something that was really, you know, um, something that wasn't compatible to our understanding of what Christians should do, you know, like, I don't know if I would call them Christians either, even if they told me that they believed, like, all these things, you know, so I don't really know where to put that, because it's both, like, yeah, if you believe these things, you should do them. But then, should you do these things? Should it, should it be like another bullet point,
1: you know? I don't know. I, you bring up a great point. Again, I, I start from the decision that only God can really know who a true believer is. Because there are people who confess certain things, you know, I believe, I believe, I believe, and then you live a life so totally differently. And that begins to say, well, i got to really question what that is, but I don't really know how to evaluate that. So... Um, I think there are cloistered Christians who are still Christians as sad you know as much as I'm trying to make the case like you know second corinthians 5 like we're supposed to be a part of what god is doing in the world and if you're not you're missing the boat even though i'm totally with you like i i would categorize that as if you don't believe in god's mission in the world and you aren't participating in it i think you've really have a, a bad understanding of christianity to the point where you might not even know who god is and what he's doing but do I think there are cloistered Christians who are non-obedient? Yes. And do I think they could still be in Christ? Yes. <laughs> Although I'm worried.
3: Does it also work the other way around, though, where if there are Christians, uh, there, there are people who are doing, doing good absolutely. actions? Like I don't know. I don't know if I would call them a church because it just seems to me that belief is always put on a higher pedestal than action. And like our definition, if we're talking about like. A common set of beliefs. Like, what about a common set of actions for? I don't
1: know. I think those. Should, I mean, I think there should be a common set of actions. I mean, that's why even when we listed what should the local church be doing—communion and baptism, proclamate, you know. So, I, those are action things. So, I'm even separating them, which maybe they shouldn't even be separated. Like, maybe there should be a belief statement on saying we should be doing these things, or else we're having issues. But. I don't know if that's net, like I'm trying to say necessary to salvation, which again, how can I even claim that I can, full, you know, like it, it's really hard to even, because I think Jesus is the one who saves, and, and there are ways that we all in this room have wrong belief about God. And do I think that disqualifies us to be gathered in Christ? No, because that's not like, <laughs> because we are saved by Christ who, who is perfect, and we are able to take on his righteousness amidst our sin.
2: I had a question with the entire idea of, like, beliefs being there. Like, if we had a a group of people or Christians who were meeting together, meeting all those other requirements or purposes uh, that we talked about, uh, but didn't ever have anywhere stated or written, like, their beliefs, would you say that's
1: a problem? I think statements of belief is helpful. So yes and no. I don't think it's necessary that you... You know, if you're working with other Christians and you don't have this stated thing that says exactly what you believe, like, you know, <laughs> you're in trouble or something, no, I'm, I'm not stating that. I'm just saying, yeah, if you're a local church, it's probably a really good idea. <laughs> uh, almost, I mean, if you look at any church website, they have something saying just, hey, these are some of our basic level beliefs. Like, this is who we are. Come join or not, if you don't agree with these things or if you want to find out. or what, I mean, I think it's a very good idea to have that. Is it absolutely necessary? know um, but I think these statements I mean I think these are trying that basic level of like this is what it means to be Christian yeah I think it's important um, You
2: said what you would want to add I would definitely think that belief that the that God-breathed word and validity of the Bible is
1: yeah I actually should have I actually forgot that I meant to have some understanding of scripture as a, a strong authority for understanding truth um, whether you believe in inerrancy or infallibility, we went through that. Um, but a strong understanding of like, yeah, this is God's special revelation. This is how we learn things about the Trinity and about <laughs> these, these basic level things that you can't really get out of nowhere, Unle- apart from God you know, appearing in a dream and teaching you or something like that. I mean, you have to kind of learn the scriptures together. I mean, that's, that's helpful critique. We'll add that for next week. I want to leave us... With this question, because this is what we're going to be doing for the rest of the series as well, and among some other things. And among you guys, asked some phenomenal questions. We had I had read them earlier today, and um, yeah, we have a lot of questions to work through, which we will begin doing. This is from Carl Bart, um, and he says essentially, how far does the church correspond to its name? How far does it exist in a practical expression of its essence? How far is it in fact what it appears to be? How far does it fulfill the claim to which it makes and the expectation it arouses? He wrote this in church dogmatics. So this is what we're going to be discussing. Like to what extent is the church doing what it should be doing, the case we're trying to make. And again, we'll have that open as we go on. If there are other things I'm missing, if there are other things we want to add. That's very helpful to even get some feedback on the beliefs, but also just how can we evaluate that. And uh, we're going to invite the worship team to come back up. Play a few songs and, and move on with the evening.